Ça va. And what is going on, everybody? Raj Gilardi here to bring you another episode of The Call to Violence. So thank you, folks, for answering. Uh, we had a great UFC over the weekend. Great, great, great card. And, man, I mean, I love fight nights. Like, I love, like, the energy that, you know, like, a fight night brings. You got, you know, if you're, uh, if you're at home and you got people over and you know, you've been waiting all day, or, you know, you're out at a bar, okay, actually, I hate watching fights at the bar, but the energy is still kind of the same, um, I just hate hearing people say stuff about fights when they have no idea what they're talking about, there's nothing more annoying, there's nothing more irritating to me than being at a bar and watching fights, like, the, the atmosphere just totally ruins it for me, but besides the point, what I wanted to get at, I love afternoon fights, man. It was great to wake up and have fights on. And, you know, we were kind of done, I want to say, by like 2, 3 o'clock. Fights were over. And I had the rest of my day to do whatever. And then um, it was cool, too, because the amount of content that came out, like, right after uh, right after the fight. I mean, all, all the way up until, like, I want to say, like, 1 a.m. Saturday night. There was stuff, I mean, between ESPN and all the other MMA channels. So, um, I, I love afternoon fights. I know it's not the best probably for business, but man, uh, as a fan, it's great for me. It was great for me, but anyways, let's get right. Uh, let's get right to it. Let's see. I got the card up here. Um, I'm not going to get to everything. Uh, it was a great card. Um, I mean, all the fights were great, great finishes. Just everything was great all around. Um, Tai Tuivasa, though, let's start with him. Um, what a comeback. I mean, uh, I know he had to, I know he got cut. And then they let him back in. Um, and I just thought, I, I, this is the problem with the UFC, is sometimes, especially in a division like heavyweight, is, you know, he kind of got all of the, he kind of got the usual push, right? Like like everyone else gets. Like, here, here I'll show you uh, what I mean by that. Let me just bring up his record real quick. Um, there's definitely, you can notice a pattern with the guys that they really want to push at heavyweight, they all tend to fight the same guys in the same order. And if you don't understand what I mean, um, okay, look it. So he has, um, he comes into the UFC and he fights Rashad Coulter. Has a crazy finish, flying knee. And you're like, okay. And then so then his next fight is uh, Cyril Asker. Okay, you know, guy outside the top 10. Um, uh, looks good, gets another uh, first round finish. So UFC is looking like, oh, maybe this guy's the future. You know, we have all of these big Australian stars right now. We got a champ at the time. You know, they had a champ that was from Australian Robert Whitaker. Let's really push heavy on this. Who do they give him? They give him Andre Arvlosky. And I love Andre, but let's look at Andre's record real quick, just so you guys can see. This dude hasn't fought anybody in his realm, and I don't know how long. This dude is just the perennial top contender dude. So let's see. Just in the okay. So look, uh, the last guy that he fought in his, um, you know, in you know, in his category was uh, was Stefan Struve. He got that win. Then his next fight's tied to Avasa. Um, he fought Walt Harris, Augusto Sakai. Um, oh, I guess, and you know, he did fight Ben Rothwell a little bit ago. Uh, Jerzinho Rosenstroke. Um, and then even before that, you know, they did the same thing with Francis. Um. Tabura, you know, Tabura was probably a guy they were pushing on, and uh, Arvlosky upset him. So it's like if you can get over Arvlosky, then you get put up into the next echelon. 
But then let's go back to Taito Avasi here real quick. So he fights Andre Avlosky when it narrowly gets by, and I actually thought Andre Avlosky won that fight. But then they throw him in there with Junior Dos Santos, and I thought that was a terrible matchup for Ty. Junior Dos Santos gets the win. Uh, so then they put him in there with uh, uh, Blagoy. And Blagoy is a heavyweight you do not want to be in there with unless you are technically sound. Blagoy will make you look so shitty. He's not a flashy heavyweight at all, but he's got great defensive wrestling. He's got a great jab that he does not mind sticking behind. And that dude's got a granite chin. Like you can like that is not one guy that you can put out. I mean, let's go look at his uh let's go look at his um his resume real quick. Just in guy big punchers that weren't able to do anything. Derek Lewis, Tai Tuavasa, Ben Rothwell. Junior Dos Santos, all guys that uh, Ben Rothwell got the win. I actually think Blagoy. I th- I want to say I think he. I thought he won that fight. I can't remember off the top, but I, I want to say I thought he won that fight. But uh, Ben Rothwell hits hard. He couldn't do anything. Junior Dos Santos couldn't do anything to him. Um, man, he even fought Lavar Johnson way back in the day, and I, Lavar Johnson might be the scariest dude on this list. Uh, but pretty much what I'm saying is, is you know, it's really hard to finish that guy. So they they threw the you know they threw the wolves at him right away, and uh, you know I just think that you know they were definitely not favorable matchups. But you know he got let go, uh, took a year off, uh, and then and then he fought uh, uh, Sergey uh, Spivak um, and got choked out. Um, and so clearly had some things to to work on. So he takes a year off. He goes to AKA, works on his defensive wrestling, works on the clinch. Um, and a lot of that kind of like dirty boxing style that the guys at AKA really like, and it was evidence in the, it was evident in this fight. Um, you know, Struve's a guy that you can look really good against, but he can also make you look really, really, really bad. And Ty passed this with flying colors. I mean, he gets a, he gets the stoppage real late around one four fifty nine, Um, and kind of, he kind of highlighted a lot of stuff that he had been working on. Um, great strikes at range. His speed was there. Um, once they got into the clinch, did not let, uh, Steph, uh, did not let Struve breathe at all and looked really, really good. So I'm really, really excited to see where Taito Avasa goes from here. I hope he stays training in San Jose. Um, and what's kind of funny is like, uh, I don't know if Justin Willis is still fighting there, but him and Justin Willis had this really bad Twitter beef for a while talking shit. And that's actually where Justin Willis is from. Uh, got to start was at AKA. Um, we actually went to the same high school. Uh, which is kind of funny. Uh, different, totally different times. Uh, Justin Willis is way older than me, or not way older than me, but he's a few years older than me. But um, yeah, went to the same high school uh, out in San Jose. But uh, um, so I wonder what that was like if the, if he if Justin's still uh, training over there. Um, but yeah, I'm really excited to see where Ty goes. Um, pretty much, you know, there's a ton of good matchups for him at heavyweight. Um, so he kind of fits in wherever up there. Uh, Magomed Akalov uh, defeats Ayan Kutalaba, which it's like, okay, finally we got to see this fight, but it's like, okay, did we really need to reschedule this this many times? I think all of us kind of figured this was how it's going to go. I mean, it was kind of evident it was going that way the first time they fought, and then to have all of these different fallouts to, you know, lead up to this, it's like, did we really need to book this, or could they have fought other guys? Um, not much else I'm going to say to that besides, you know, uh, Ankalov lit his ass up. Lit his ass up. Lauren Murphy defeats uh, Sharikova. Sharikova. Yeah. Um, I mean, what are you going to say? Murphy was a big favorite going in. Had a vet performance. Called a shot after. And, you know, there's some there's some really good contenders at 125 with Jessica Andrade, Lauren Murphy. And, you know, it's shaping up, but it's still, it's like Valentina is just 
so far above all those guys. It's going to be really, you know, it's going to be really tough. Really tough to close that gap. I thought Lauren Murphy said all the right things, though, uh, uh, after the fact. I mean, she kind of cut herself for a little nice promo. And that's kind of what you got to do. You got to sell yourself. Um, I know a lot of fighters don't like doing that. Uh, just like in the case with, uh, I think it was Johnny Martinez or something like that. And DC tried to help him out and he just wasn't biting. But there you go, Lauren Murphy selling herself. So that's good. Uh, you got Alexander Volkov taking out Walt Harris in the gut. Um you know, I just thought this was a bad fight for Walt Harris. Um, I thought the stuff that was evident in the Overeem fight would get highlighted uh, a little bit more in this fight uh, negatively for Walt Harris. Uh, Volkov, uh, you know, unless you got a, a really good wrestling game or, um, you know, you have power to kind of disrupt his striking on the feet, that that's a tough go. It's a real tough go. And I just thought, uh, unless Walt made it really dirty against the fence, he wasn't really going to stand a chance. And that was evident. Um, yeah, was he fast? Yeah, but he didn't have the the technique in order to close the distance. I mean, if you go back and watch, uh, yeah, he threw he was throwing like two three punch combos, uh, but we just whiffed. I think he landed like maybe in the like in the first like thirty seconds or first minute. I think he landed a couple good shots, but then after that, uh, you know, Volkov being such a vet, like he understood the distance real well. He knew Walt Harris couldn't touch him, and then Volkov just started picking him apart at range. And Walt never shot a takedown. Maybe he shot one takedown, but he never tried to make it dirty up, up against the fence and never really, n- didn't really make it very difficult for Volkov in my eyes. Um, you know, Volkov just put on a vet performance. I mean, he played right into Volkov's game. I mean, that was as, that that, that is a vintage Volkov uh, performance as if he ever had one. Um was setting them up, uh, you know, it was funny because DC was saying for how tall he is, he never throws head kicks, and he's right. He throws the team kicks, but he never throws head kicks. And even when he's thrown to the leg, he never comes back up top. So I don't know if that's like a leg dexterity issue or or what, but um, kind of interesting. But ultimately, gets it done. You got to feel bad for Harris just because of what he's been through. But, I mean, I hope uh, I hope the UFC doesn't like totally bail on him, but I, I, I hope they know now like where he sits at in the division and can give him... Um, you know, uh, some better, some better fights. He runs the risk of dropping. I mean, I guess he's going to run the risk of dropping, uh, three straight no matter what, but him and Ty, that makes a good fight. Uh, um, I definitely think Volkov though needs to fight. Uh, I think, uh, Kiesa was calling for this and I, I kind of was hoping this is the way they were going to go, uh, before, um, Volkov and blades got matched up, but, uh, Alexander Volkov and, uh, and Alistar Overeem's definitely the fight to make. Um, both coming off of wins over Walt Harris, uh, both finishes over Walt Harris, um, and I think if both guys really want to try and get back up to the very tip top, they got to fight each other. Um, Rosenstruck is also right there, which would be a fun fight for for Volkov, but I really think the the Overeem fight's the way to go. Um, stylistically, that's just I, I feel like that's gonna be way more fun. Um, and then next up we had Robert Whitaker, uh, beating, uh, Jared Cannonier by unanimous decision, 29, 28 across the board. This was probably the fight I was most excited for. Um, it was a super, super entertaining fight. It was super entertaining. Um, you know, it may have not had the, it, you know, it was a little tense. It may have not had all the moments that uh, everybody wants to see, but 
man, knowing that either guy could end it at any moment and then, you know, not really knowing where, you know, and all the momentum was really in Cannoneer's side, even though he's been off and even though Whitaker had that great win uh, over Till, I still going into this fight, I think everyone was kind of, especially after Adesanya kind of given, uh, giving uh, Cannoneer the rub a little bit. I think everyone was thinking Cannoneer was going to come away with this. And for the second time, uh, Whitaker had to had to halt the hype of an up-and-comer at, uh, at middleweight. And uh, I think I thought he looked great. He showed more stuff that he has. Uh, he's showing more wrinkles to his game um, since coming back from the the Adesanya loss. Uh, you saw a lot of stuff that he's been working on in the Till fight, and he's kind of even uh, showing you more uh, w- with each fight. And what? So that's uh, eight rounds now that he's had. And usually, you know. Usually guys after their title reign, for whatever reason, some guys come back looking really great, uh, but a lot, of, a lot of the times, more times than not, you see you see former champs really fall off, and maybe they get a couple good wins, but they don't look the same like when they were first coming up, and that's not the case with Robert Whitaker. Robert Whitaker having to fight Darren Till and now Jared Cannonier, he's had to fight the two probably most dangerous guys at middleweight. Um, Outside of Adesanya, yeah, you might say uh, Costa's up there, but I, I, I don't think Costa. Yeah, he's got the power and kind of that 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 aggressiveness, but he doesn't have the technique or um, even the experience that Cannonier uh, and Till both have. And so for Whitaker to come in and fight both of these guys right, uh, right off of losing his belt shows you exactly where he's at. And I don't think it should be any question about who should Rob fight next. I mean, uh, who uh, Adesanya should fight next. It's got to be Robert Whitaker, Adesanya too, because that fight, that rematch, checks all the boxes. Those two have history. Those two are giant stars in their oceanic regions where they come from. I mean, that first fight is the highest attended UFC fight of all time. And it's not like they, I mean, maybe, right, they might have to work some details out now putting on a fight there because, you know, Australia is on severe, severe lockdown. And um, I know a lot of the, I know a lot of the local people out there, they're getting really pissed off with their government with their lockdowns just because of uh, you know the number of cases and the mortality rate and all that, but that's a that's a discussion for another podcast. Um, but hopefully, hopefully things open up, uh, are you know settle down there and and things start to open up so they can uh, um, they can really give that fight the shine that it needs or that it deserves because their first fight again, uh, super big fight over there, and the, I feel like the rematch would be even bigger. And this isn't you know and this isn't a rematch where you're you're, you're shoving the um the former champion back into the fight you know because of just because that it sells um or just because of there's nobody else like no that that is the most qualified fight for Adesanya um again that fight checks all the boxes it checks uh it, it checks rankings wise uh it, it checks everything um and I feel like if if Rob hasn't, it, it not only has Rob looked different in his in his fights physically, but even d- his demeanor leading up and post fight. Again, I, I keep saying this, and I'm going to keep beating this drum. Robert Whitaker's enjoying the process. I mean, if you looked at him after post fight in both of these fights, usually he gets done with the fight, and the last place he wants to be is at a press conference or doing media. 
And I mean, he's out there joking with the media instead of being instead of being an asshole about it now. Or I shouldn't say an asshole because he's never really been an asshole. But instead of just kind of um, you know just dealing with the questions one by one, he's kind of being snarky at dumb questions. Uh, he's just definitely enjoying the process more, and that's what you want to see out of these guys because you know if they're enjoying the process more, they're enjoying the process in the gym, um, and that means they're they're more prepared, they're in better spirits. And they're gonna perform better on fight night. So I, I don't know what other fight you can you can pitch at me and say that Adesanya should take, unless it's a fight at 205. But I, I still think Adesanya has a lot to work to do at at middleweight. And uh, you know we'll talk about the whole John Jones thing in a minute because boy am I about to rip that dude a new one. Um, but yeah, uh, Robert Whitaker looked great. He almost got the finish in that third round, and then Cannonier was just game as hell and comes back. Uh, gets back to his feet, actually hurts Rob, and, you know, even though it was three rounds, I definitely wish it was five, um, that was one of those fights, you know, some fights I feel like, ah, you can definitely make that a three-rounder, that was definitely one where I, um, I wish it was five, uh, just to see how it would have played out late, but I think we know, uh, I think we know who the better fighter was, I mean, Robert's jab was just on fire, he could not miss with that jab, and then, um, you know, with uh, Cannoneer came out southpaw, and I think that messed up Whitaker at first, but then he just got, I mean, his left jab, and he would start coming over with the right hand, coming straight down the pipe, like right down the middle. Uh, Robert would get the, the, the outside foot control, so he had the angle for the right hand, and then once once Cannoneer started biting on the right hand, would just, I mean, that's what you saw set up the head kick later, and would just faint with the right hand. And what was beautiful about it is he would step through like he was throwing the right hand. Like he would bring the right hand forward and then drop it right at the last second. So Cannoneer would slip and go right into Whitaker's right leg. It was beautiful. And he almost hit him with it in the, I want to say in the in the second round, but ultimately blasted him in the in the third round with it. Um it wasn't a bad fight though for Cannoneer. Like Cannoneer doesn't lose a lot of a uh, lot of momentum. I mean, he'll get back in there and, and fight another perennial top contender, and he's still not too far away from from a title shot. I know he did break his ulna. Um, I think it was his ulna, so he's probably going to be on ice for a minute. But but he definitely doesn't lose too much losing to Robert Whitaker like that. Um, and then we had the big one. We had the big one. Man, was I nervous. Oh man, man, was I nervous. But uh. Khabib uh, Nurmagomedov defeats Justin Gaethje by uh, triangle choke at the second at the end of, or at the minute and thirty four into the f- second round. And man, uh, my head's kind of going all over the place right now because um, so much I want to get into with this fight for a fight that really didn't have. I mean, too much. I mean, for a fight that ended the way it did, and you know, so one sided that it did. There's so much to unpack. Um, so let me kind of just like collect my thoughts here a little bit and see where I want to start. But I mean, first, uh, um, Khabib looked amazing. I mean, for knowing after the fact that he broke his foot, I mean, he gave Justin, he gave Justin uh, Gaethje respect in the sense of that it's competition. But when it came to his game, he just did not respect him from, from, from the get go. Um, and I think that has a lot to do with Justin Gaethje, um, you know, Khabib's one of these guys where and you see it a lot with uh, with um, with dominant champs is that it makes guys second guess themselves. Um, and what do I mean by that? I mean, like, okay, let's go back to Anderson Silva. Anderson Silva, half of the time he won, 
and beat he or half the time Anderson beat those guys before they ever even got in the cage. He was he had guys worried about what he was gonna do so bad that they either froze, they fought outside of their game plan, um, or you know whatever it may be. But they were mentally they they didn't fight to their strengths. They tried to they tried to fight around Anderson instead of using what they brought. Uh, well, like like what Chael likes to say. They forget what brought them to the dance in the first place. Um, and that was the case here. I mean, w- Justin was on his bike the whole time. And when has Justin ever won a fight on his bike? Uh, and not and that wasn't... I mean, I know he was worried about the takedown. I know you have to make space so uh, Khabib can't get in on you. But your whole game is pressure. And when has Khabib looked the worst? And I can't even say look the worst, but when has Khabib looked vulnerable? When you push in on him, and Justin never did that. Justin just decided, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of lay kick when I can, but I'm just gonna be on my bike and try and keep my back off the fence. And I really think the 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 key to Khabib is is you gotta push in on him. You gotta go in on him. And I think that's why, I mean, I, I was texting my buddy Jordan and, uh, you know, he's kind of a casual fan. Uh, we used to live together and um, that's really kind of when he started getting into fights because I would have him on all the time. And, um, you know, we, I, we were texting each other right right before the fight and I was like, I don't know, man, I think Justin might do it. And, you know, he was texting me like, oh, you're crazy. Khabib beats everyone on the ground. And I was like, dude, you don't underestimate Justin. And, you know, I've been watching this game for a while, but the things he were saying are what ended up, you know, happening. And, you know, he's not even that crazy of a fan. But, you know, sometimes when you get too far into this game, you start, you start, the, the obvious things start going away because you know so much about each guy. Um, and so I just kind of thought that was funny. But yeah, I mean, Justin. I really thought he was going to go in there and he was going to back Khabib up. And I thought, you know, between all the the weighing controversy, his dad dying, I thought there was so much weighing on Khabib. Not that he would fold under the pressure, but I just thought, you know, the moment, the the kind of the momentum was in, uh, was in uh, Justin's favor. And it just goes to show you that's how good Khabib is. And that's what separates guys like GSP, um, John Jones, uh, you know, to the, to the rest of the guys, the rest of the guys, you know, everything, you know, a lot of guys, everything kind of has to go right for them to win on the big night where the, the, the best of all time, man, it, the momentum can be in totally in the other guy's favor and it doesn't matter because they're, they're so mentally strong and they're, they're such competitors that even when like Khabib, they break their foot four weeks before a fight. Uh, their father dies uh, in GSP's case, you know, whatever it might be, or, you know, John Jones having a, you know, partying all night and then, or, or the whole week of the fight. And then, you know, fight day is pretty much hung over and has to go in there and fight Alexander Gustafson, whatever it might be. Those guys always find a way to win. And that's what separates the best of all time from everybody else. It's right there. And, um, circling this back to Justin, um, I really thought, you know, when it came down to, to styles, Justin had the the the, the style to kind of uh, negate Khabib's strength, and I thought, you know, Khabib could come on later, or I'm sorry, I thought Khabib would look, I thought Khabib would look good early, and you know, kind of get a lot of the, the takedowns, and I thought Justin would be okay with that as long as he was walking Khabib down, 
and you know would still get up but something that I didn't take account for that uh, Josh Thompson kind of made note of and you know if anyone's going to know it's Josh Thompson because he's in there with the gym with him all the time but Khabib's uh, grappling is just on another level and clearly Justin does not train that enough I mean Khabib went through Justin on the ground like a, a a hot rod over ice. I mean, just went right through him. Um, I mean, just no, like go back and watch Khabib's other fights. He doesn't cut through. He doesn't. He doesn't. Uh, he doesn't cut through you. Cut through like that uh, a lot. And uh, maybe maybe that's just a lot of like positioning advantage and stuff like that. But I think he knew right away. Like Justin had nothing for him. Um, a lot of those passes, I mean, those were some real easy passes um, that didn't take any effort at all. And a lot of it was just just a novice grappling from Justin. Um, and I mean, like, dude, when you, when you hit a mounted triangle like that, that quick, I mean, come on. I mean, that's one of my favorite submissions to hit, but it's not like you can, uh, you know, if you, if you get, if you're on the ground with somebody who knows what they're doing, even just a little bit defensively, like you ain't hitting that shit. You ain't hitting that shit. So I think Justin knows what he needs to work on, and I think he's gonna kind of beat up, beat up on himself because he's gonna know later, like shit. I should have just fought him the way I should have fought, the way I knew I should have fought him. Use my best game, use my pressure, and yeah, I might get taken down, but so be it. So be it. Um, you know, and I was thinking um, after watching these last two fights between Dustin and Justin. Um, you know, I used to think, you know, when people were calling for a Connor rematch, I used to think, like, what the fuck are you guys thinking? Khabib utterly destroyed Connor. And yeah, Khabib did did blow through Connor. And, you know, it, it, it really was, I mean, uh, it was a great performance by, by, uh, by Khabib. But looking back on it, that is definitely the, the best. Even though he got strangled and he got dropped. And again, this is this goes a lot to Khabib's game, uh, like to say like, okay, like the best performance against him was a dude who still got smashed. But looking back on it now, Connor still has done the best against him. And yeah, you might say uh, Al uh, Al Iaquinta did good or did better because he went the distance and yada yada yada. But Al never had Khabib in trouble like Connor did. And I'm not saying Khabib was in total trouble of losing that fight, but that third round got a little dicey. Got a little dicey. Go back and watch. And what did Connor do right out of the gate in that fight? He pressured Khabib. He put Khabib. He literally, as soon as that fight started, Connor Connor closed the distance so well that Khabib's back was almost against the fence. His feet were definitely behind the double black lines. And that's what he did that whole first round. And even when Khabib did get the takedown, he made him work for it. He eventually got back up. Um and that's that's proven to be the way to beat Khabib. That's way easier said than done. I understand that. But if you go back and watch that Connor fight, and I actually have a lot more respect for Connor in that fight, and I think he did a lot better. And now I'm kind of you know, even though it's never going to happen because Khabib retired, and I know Khabib doesn't want that fight, even if they paid him five billion dollars. But that 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 might be the fight that that might be the fight that needed to be run back. Um, and I always thought I always thought it was Khabib's camp saying that Connor's still the toughest fight because of the money aspect. I thought they all you know kind of benefit from a, a Connor rematch. But now I'm thinking no, that they, they they weren't bullshitting. They weren't they weren't trying to to um, 
to fluff any feathers, so to say. But that really probably is the 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 most the, the best matchup for Khabib or uh, the the worst matchup for Khabib. And yeah, I mean, if all that shit with Connor about all partying because that was his first fight since. Um, uh, coming off of the Floyd fight, like if he really was partying, all that kind of fucking bullshit that gets led up into Connor fights. But you know, if they were to rematch and it was all you know like legit leading up to it, I don't know what would happen. Um, I'm a lot more, I'm a lot more on the on the fence about that now than I was before. If you would have asked me before this fight, I would have told you Khabib finishes him sooner. But I don't know. Because clearly, I don't think Connor would have any less confidence going into that fight than uh, going into a rematch than he would the first fight. So, um, yeah. Um, let me see. What else is what? What else did I want to say about this one? Um, okay. So now that we kind of talked about the fight itself, let's talk about the the ramifications afterwards. Give me one second. Let me just uh, wet the beak a little bit. Okay, so Khabib retires, totally leaves 155 open. Two things to gather from this. And I hate, I one of these conversations I fucking hate, but Khabib retiring actually makes this interesting now. So there's two there's two conversations. There's what happens at 155, where does Khabib stack at greatest of all time? Greatest of all time talk, I can't stand that shit because it doesn't mean anything. We'll never fucking know. I hate talking about like i hate the the i love barbershop talk but that's one of those conversations where it's just a pointless round robin of bullshit but khabib makes this interesting for a couple different reasons so khabib has held the belt for a quarter length of the rest of the goats but he may trump them all in terms of skill and legacy um you know, that's a non-cherry pick 29-0. and 0. Like, he really did fight the best guys. Yeah, does do, does the competition, do, you know, the best guys were as of late. And, you know, could he have fought more guys and had more longevity? Yeah. Yeah, he could have. But, I mean, like, when you look at Floyd's in boxing, his, uh, his 40-0 and 0 or 30 or whatever the fuck his record is, had Canelo at 21, so way before Canelo was in his prime. He got Cotto way after his prime. He got Pacquiao way after his prime. He got De La Hoya after his prime, and Ricky Hatton after the okay, K, and so on and so on and so on. Uh, Mo, um, yeah, Mosley way after his prime. So obviously, yeah, he cherry picked a lot of those fights, and you know has a nice record because of it. Khabib obviously did not. He had a non cherry picked 29 and 0. Um, and but the the thing that's hard is because of his longevity overall. Now let's see, Khabib. Um, like he's only had one fight a year in the past two years. So let's look. So in 2018, that's finally when he got back on track. Okay, he fought for the title. He beat Ally Quinta on that short notice, and he comes back in October and has the great and has the great Connor fight, right? But then because of the suspension and all the bullshit that happened in that fight, he got put out a year, and then he comes back um, the following September, so almost a year after the Connor fight, and fights Dustin. Then he's supposed to fight Tony in April, but then COVID happens, and so then he has to wait until this past October to fight Gaethje. So that is um, pretty much one title defense a year. 
So he had the title defense of 2018, 2019, and now in 2020. And so with that, he has Justin Gaethje, Dustin Poirier, Conor McGregor. All great fights. But then you look at guys like GSP who went through three generations of fighters. He went through the previous generation at welterweight, um, you know, Frank Trigg, Carl Parisian, um, Matt Hughes, and so forth. And then his generation with the, uh, um, here, let me just see here, uh, you know, with the uh, uh, low, you know, John Fitch, Josh Koscheck. Uh, you know, in that whole that that whole era, and then he got through the next uh, era too as well, uh, like Carlos Condit, Johnny Hendricks, and so forth. Um, you know, Tiago Alves and those guys, and in his current, so we went through three generational fighters where Khabib obviously didn't do that, um, and th- and I think that goes a lot too because um, lightweight kind of had a transformation where um, you know once if you look at lightweight. If you look at all of the, the the lightweights from like the BJ Penn era, all of those guys dropped to 145. Um, back in the UFC, guys didn't cut as much weight back in the day. And then once you know these real big giant guys, these these real athletes came in, then this whole weight cutting thing kind of got crazy. So everyone at 155 actually got forced down to 155. Uh, I mean, look, Gray Maynard forced down to 145, fought out, finished his career at 145. Uh, Frankie Edgar's all the way down at 135 now. BJ Penn went, dropped down. Clay Guida dropped down. Um, uh, you know, the list goes on and on and on. But all those guys, all, all of those, uh, all of the uh, the OGs at lightweight all dropped down in weight because those guys definitely don't have the size, wouldn't have the size to compete at the, the current state of 155. Um, so Khabib really didn't have a chance to do that. But also, what's crazy about Khabib is that dude was on ice. That dude was on ice for two years. I mean, he came onto the scene in 20... I think he made his his debut in 2012. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so, so that's right. Yeah, yeah. In 2012, January 2012, he makes his debut against Kamal Chalarus. Chokes him out in the third. Um, then is on the giant Anderson Silva... Um, uh, Chelsea on a two card, and I actually remember him fighting Gleason Tebow. Um, I actually think I thought Gleason Tebow won at the time, but the fight was in 2012, so it doesn't even fucking matter. Um, you know, has that win, and then looks like a looks like a destroyer from there on out. Uh, knocks out Tiago Tavares, has that crazy fight with Abel Trujillo where he has the most takedowns ever in a fight, where he's just taking him down, letting him up, taking him down, letting him up. Has that crazy fight against Pat Healy where, again, do, doing the same thing. And then just utterly destroys Rafael Dos Anjos and then gets hurt. And then is literally on ice for two years. And in that time, Hoffa uh, goes to win the belt. And, um, you know, Khabib's still on ice. And then when Khabib comes back, still nobody had anything for him. So his last fight against Rafael was April 19th of 2014. He returns against Daryl Horcher because he was supposed to fight Tony. But then Tony, that was, you know, one of those times that Tony fell out. So then he comes back April 16th of 2016 and still nobody has shit for him. So technically, I mean... Yeah, I mean, he only had a quarter length of a reign at lightweight. But in reality, if he never got hurt, he's probably your belt holder from 2014 up until now. So in reality, I mean, I'm not saying, again, he never got to fight Tony. And I know a lot can happen in a reign. You know, I know a lot can happen. But pretty much what I'm saying is, is this dude was the uncrowned champ. 
for four years. He didn't end up getting a shot until 2018. And so for four years, team missed out because once he got uh, he got hurt, and then once he came back, it was kind of the Connor era, and it was just whatever happen, you know, whatever Connor does or whatever Connor wants happens because he's the big star, and you know, Khabib wasn't really that well known at the time. So I mean, he should have got the. To be honest, Khabib should have been the one to fight Eddie Alvarez at 205, at UFC 205. And I think, yeah, if I can remember correctly, while they were trying to work out the whole deal with Connor, they used Khabib, the UFC used Khabib as a pawn to put pressure on Connor to get him to sign for the fight. Because I think they sent Khabib and Eddie a contract to main event 205 between them two, and then they ultimately worked out the Connor fight. So they kind of used Khabib as a, as, a, uh, as a pawn there, but that should have been his title fight. And. You know, that's still one of those fights I don't know what you know, I, I think about all these fights with uh, with Khabib and these these kind of and these guy these uh fighters with strong wrestling bases who have really great hands. But after seeing the Justin after seeing the Justin fight, I just I don't know. It, it makes me not think about those so much anymore. And that's why I thought like, ooh, Chandler's an interesting fight. Ooh, Eddie Alvarez is an interesting fight. Justin's an interesting fight, but I really think Khabib just is gonna cut through everybody. And, uh, you know, I don't think we're ever going to get to see otherwise. But anyways, back to my previous point. Yeah, he has a quarter of the reign on paper. But I, I really think this guy, you know, could have went on a on a long run uh, like a GSP, like a John Jones, like a Demetrius Johnson. And um, I it's it's just crazy. It's crazy. Um, what else did I want to get to with him? Um and then, yeah, I mean, let's just get into it real quick. And then, so, John Jones, continuing being biggest baby of all time. I mean, yeah, like, skill-wise, are you the best pound for pound? Maybe. But we don't know shit yet until you go up to heavyweight. And, yeah, Khabib never did that, but I don't think he really had to. And so, uh, John Jones and his whole team coming out and kind of acting like a bunch of big babies, saying, oh, no, I'm still number one. This guy beats three guys and all of a sudden you guys are climbing what about me and it's like john okay so the issue with john jones is yeah he's had the longevity but he's looked vulnerable in fights and that's not even a recent that's not even a recent thing um you know he looked really vulnerable against alexander in their first fight and yeah he's gonna come out and say well i was partying all week all right well khabib doesn't fuck around that's a see that 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 is ultimately the issue with John Jones, right? Is that he makes he ma- he he victimizes himself for for choices he's made, right? Like he ch- he chose to fuck around and party all week going leading into the the Alexander fight. And instead of saying like, "Yeah, I fucked up," he uses that as a crutch. And that's where I think a lot of people have issues with John Jones is cuz he he does things to crutch himself so he has an excuse afterwards. And it's like, dude, like, yeah, that that may be reality, but that doesn't mean shit at the at the end of the day. It, just because you were, uh, you know, fucking around and doing all this shit doesn't mean we get to be like, oh yeah, but you know what? He he chose to do this. It's like, no, Khabib, Khabib's in there making the right sacrifices, right? So you can't say you can't go in there and say, oh, because I didn't make the sacrifices, I'm better, right? Like that doesn't make any sense. Like who in the right mind would make that argument? And yeah, does he does uh does Jones have more title defenses? Fuck yeah. Does he have more title fights? Fuck yeah. But again, uh Vitor Belfort almost armbarred him. 
Um, what else? Uh, yeah, I mean, he's looked he's look vulnerable. And especially as of late, he's looked vulnerable. And again, who's to say if Khabib didn't keep fighting, he wouldn't look vulnerable? Yeah, did Connor almost get him in that third round? I don't know, maybe. But yeah, he was looking good. Did Dustin almost snatch that guillotine on him? Yeah, but we're, we're nitpicking here, right? We're nitpicking. That's what's crazy about Khabib's career is we nitpick little moments instead of full-on fights, right? Whereas, like, if you look at Jones, like, ooh, uh, Dominic Reyes, that was a that was a tough, weird fight. Oh, Tiago Santos, that was a split decision. Alexander Gustafson in that first fight, and so on and so on and so on. Um, early in early in John's career, we were nitpicking shit like that, but not at this point. Uh, I just think it's weird. And you know what? You know what the thing that may that may hold Khabib back. Um, from the conversation is, uh, you know, he, besides the Connor fight, I don't really think he has like a, like a signature win. I mean, maybe now with the, the mounted triangle, that was cool. But like, like when I go back, um, like th- that's the one thing John Jones has is John Jones has that beat down a Shogun. The, the way he choked out uh, Machida standing up and then, you know, he lets the he lets the choke go and then Machida just falls and looks like a fish out of water. Um, uh, you know, what, a, like, you know, he has ton, tons of those, those those moments that you look back and be like, fuck, remember when he did that? Anderson Silva front kicking Vitor, submitting uh, Chael on his back, uh, you know, after losing the whole fight. Um uh, destroying Forrest Griffin, making Forrest Griffin look like a like a dude he just picked out of the the, the audience, um, you know, and so forth. Maybe Khabib doesn't have so many of those moments, and those ultimately hold him back. But I think that just goes back to to show you how dominant dominant he was. Second part of this, and then we'll move on because I've been kind of I've been talking forever on this topic. But um, second is what do you do with uh, with uh, with one fifty five? And I was kind of thinking the same thing that kind of a, a lot of people were thinking. I was thinking two of the two of the things that a lot of people were saying after the fact. And I thought uh, a tournament would be fun, and it would probably make the most sense. Um, UFC will never do it. I don't know why they don't get back into the roots. I think it's just hard for them to to work out business wise and with with injuries and shit like that. But if you look. Um, I don't think there's ever been a stronger case for a tournament than one than than right now at 155. I mean, you really do have uh, the creme la creme right now. Um, it's the most competitive division. Uh, most of the guys in the top five are all relative stars. Um, you got uh, and you got fun. You got fun, great matchups. And what you could do is you could do this all on one card. So if somebody does fall out, you just fill in the gap. So if you would just do a card where it's uh, where it's you know Connor, uh, Dustin, Gaethje, fucking Hooker and Ferguson Chandler to say you know if somebody drops out you can just move somebody up, um, you know if it if it works out that way and then you can have a reserve bout with Charles Oliveira and you know whoever whatever the case may be but you could stack that you could do a cool promo where you start in with the grainy footage of UFC one or the, you know the first few uh, you know UFC tournaments. You do some, uh, uh, you know, background with that, and then you lead that into the day where you, you know, you could call it going back to your roots or some shit. I don't fucking know, but that's hella easy to promote. You don't gotta fucking be promoting fights for twenty years to understand it. No, this is fucking easy. Um, yeah, the logistics may be a little bit hard, but like you can, you guys can figure that shit out. I think that's fucking easy. Um, 
so yeah, I, I think a tournament would be really cool. But then also, I think what they're going to end up doing uh, is doing Khabib, and, or I'm sorry, um, they're going to do Dustin Connor for the belt, for the vacant belt. Um, and yeah, does Connor really deserve it? No. But I mean, it, he makes the most money, guys. Let's let's be honest here. Is that the fight that I think should be for the belt? Probably no. In Dustin's case, yeah. But in 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 Connor's stance, no. But I mean, like that's what's gonna bring the most eyes to the division, right? So you kind of got to do it. You got to do it. I was getting in an argument with my with uh with uh with good old Mike Connerton. You know, called the violence uh, OG right there. And uh, when he was asking, "What do they do next?" I was like, "Come on, this is easy. They're gonna do Dustin, uh, Dustin Connor for the belt." And he was giving me all kinds of shit. Maybe I should bring him back on so we can debate it a little bit. Um, but come on, like that, it doesn't take a fucking rocket scientist to know that's what they're gonna do next, or that's what they're gonna try to do. Um, so yeah, that's kind of my feelings on that whole situation. Great card though, great card though, and uh, you know what a great moment for Khabib, you know. With the injury, with his father's death, with with everything that that dude had on his shoulders, to be able to put on a performance like that and to go out on his own, didn't have to look bad doing it, gives all the glory back to you know his his faith, his family, his team. I mean that that's the way to do it, right? Like there was no better way to go out. Um, so I'm I'm so happy for him. You know it sucks because as a fan, like you know he obviously. He obviously still has a lot to show, not to prove, but a lot to show. Like that guy could be really competitive, even in the next division up. It gets a little more dicey up there, but obviously, like at his peak, decided to let go. Um, so it's like a, it's a sad but very, very, very inspiring story all at the same time. Okay, let's move. Let's move on to uh, this weekend's cards. Uh, so we have Bellator on Thursday. We got UFC on Saturday. I'm gonna break these down real quick. So we got Bellator back on CBS on Thursday with uh, Douglas Lima taking on Gagard Musasi for the vacant 185-pound belt. Musasi was the previous champ, lost a close decision to uh, Lovato Jr. Lovato Jr. now though is uh, having some uh, brain issues and was, uh, or yeah, yeah, some brain issues. So got forced to retire and give up the belt, which is really unfortunate because uh, I love Lovato Jr. That guy's great, uh, both as uh, as a person, very inspiring person, but then also as a fighter. Just great, great, great jiu-jitsu. Uh, but here we are, and man, I love Scott Coker. I love Bellator, but why do you guys got to do this? I know you guys are, you know, your divisions are a little shallow, and you guys have some really good fighters, but don't have the depth um, that the UFC has. But it's like, man, why do you keep doing this to your 170-pound champs right after they get some momentum? I mean, you did this to, to Rory right after he was gaining a lot of momentum at 170. And you throw him in there with the worst possible matchup in Gagard. Douglas Lima, huge for 170. That one, cut to 170 must absolutely kill him. But Gagard is not a small guy, guys. This guy's a former champ at 205. This is a former Strike Force 205-pound champion. And he's even in Dream. Back in Japan, this dude's fought a heavyweight. I mean, here, let, let me see who he's fought. This dude, this dude fought Mark Hunt at heavyweight. Okay, like that's how that that he's not a small guy. Let's see here. This guy had a uh, had a had a uh, had a grappling match with Fedor. All right, let's look at this because I know he's fought in some big guys. This dude fought Mike Kyle in Strike Force. 
Mike Kyle, yeah, fights at 205, but that dude's that dude dropped Bigfoot back in Strike Force. Go back and go back and look. He ultimately gets choked out, but go back and watch Mike Kyle versus uh, versus um, Bigfoot Silva. I mean, just drops him crazy with a right hand. Uh, yeah, this dude. Yeah, fought uh, Mark Hunt, Sokaju, Gary Goodridge. This dude fought really big guys. All right. Uh, and I love Douglas Lima. I love Gagard. I've been watching both. I've been watching both of these guys forever. I've been watching Gagard Musasi since since uh, yeah his Sengoku and his Dream Days. I've been watching Lima since he was uh, he busted out on the scene on MFC, which was a, a Canadian promotion back in the day. Uh, I forget who was running that promotion. Uh, I actually think Mick Maynard was the. I want to say Mick Maynard was the the matchmaker over there. Or the pre- I forget what he was, um, but it was ultimately led by some dude Pav- Pavlet or something like that. But it was just the, this crazy Canadian dude who was really good at, at pumping up fights. I don't know what he's doing now, but MFC had some great fights back in the day. And Douglas Lima, that's kind of where he made his name. Um, took out their best guys. I remember there was a dude named Ryan Ford who was kind of bursting out on the scene as they're kind of like top dog on 170 and Lima twice. I think just blew right through him. So I've been watching, and then I remember when Lima first came over to Bellator and kind of ran into Ben Askren as an issue. But then once Ben Askren left, he kind of took over, had the whole deal with Korshkov, and then had his, you know, had his, had his, uh, you know, feud with with Roar, and you know the whole thing. So I've been following both these guys for a really, really, really long time. Um, while I think it's a great fight, I just think it's you know build Lima at 170, and you know. 185 is extremely shallow in Bellator right now, but again, like I said, Musasi has experience at 205. He's a former champion at 205. So if you're shallow at at 185, just move him up to heavy or at, at to 205. You got some really great matchups for him at 205. Um, really fun matchup. So I don't know why you wouldn't do that. Um, how do I see this fight going? Uh, I see Gagard being able to take this down and doing a lot. Uh, to Lima on top. Can Lima hit him with some really good leg kicks? Yeah. But Musasi is a vet when it comes to kickboxing. I mean, a vet. A complete vet. Um, has some kickboxing experience. Has just kickboxing experience uh, on his own. Um, and so I really see the size being able to take over uh, for Musasi on Lima. Is this the fight, though, that Musasi looks old? Maybe. Maybe does does everything finally catch up with Musashi here, and Lima is able to get a signature win over him? Maybe. Um, I think that's what a lot of people were thinking with Rory and Musashi, but I I I don't see that here. I don't see that here at all. Could it happen? Yeah, that, that'd be great for Lima. Does Lima have all the skills and the knockout power and the speed and you know all the technique in the world? Fuck yeah, he does. Do I see it happening? I don't know. I don't think so. So I, I wish I, I wish Scott would stop thinking he's got to do these super fights and would just build his guys at 170 and or just build his champs up. Um, a couple other interesting fights on here. We got uh, Jake Hager, WWE guy coming over to uh, back over to fight Brandon Carlton. We'll see what happens there. Got Adam Borks taking on Eric Sanchez. Uh, it's a good one. Da, 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 da. Nick Newell. Uh, Nick Newell's coming on to fight Zach Zane. What a name. Uh, keep an eye on that one. Uh, Bobby Volker's making his return. Strike Force vet, UFC vet coming back over. Uh, Brandon Gertz versus uh, Henry Corrales should be a really good one. I look for uh, Henry to get uh, back on the win column in that one. Let's move on to the UFC, though. UFC's kind of a light card. Just going to go over this real quick. 
Um, let's see. Uh, we got King of the COVID Air and Bobby Green. Bobby Green might go be the only fighter to go undefeated uh, with three or more fights uh, in this uh, COVID era. I thought Brian Kelleher might be the guy, but no, it's looking like Bobby Green. Bobby Green has fought three times. He's got three decision wins over Clay Guida. Let me see if I can remember all these. I want to say it's Alan Patrick. No, 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 no. Oh, fuck. Let's see. God damn it. Should prep this a little bit better. Let me see here real quick. And of course, Bobby. Oh, Lando Venata, Alan Patrick, Clay Guida. Am I right? Let's see. Bobby Green. Bobby the King Green. Yeah, Alan Patrick. Lando Venata, and then uh, Clay Guida. That's right. Yeah. So three decision wins. All three were great fights. All three great fights. And I think he's favored here against uh, Tiago. And Tiago, you know, uh, coming off that crazy win over Michael Johnson where Michael Johnson was piecing him up in the first round. I mean, almost got a stoppage, dropped him, just piecing him up. And then Tiago goes, all right, well, fuck your punches. I'm going to go for your knee and almost just obliterates Michael Johnson's knee. Um, so, you know, with Bobby's style, being able to just kind of stay on the outside, pump his jab, has a good right hand down the middle. Um, I think, uh, I think, um, I think Bobby gets it done and goes 4-0 in this COVID, uh, no fans era. Um, and then, you know, we got Greg Hardy taking on Maurice Green. I hope this is not the co-main event and i hope they put this lower on the card because as we've seen greg hardy yeah he's a talent but he really doesn't have the skills and the techniques to really put on a show yet he's got a really favorable matchup in maurice green though maurice green can make anybody look get bad as john velate found out in his last fight um but that should be a fun little scrap hopefully it's again earlier in the card got arizona's own courtney casey coming back Ooh, but the co- I think this is going to be the co-main event. Bryce Mitchell versus Andre Feely. Now, that's a motherfucking fight, ladies and gentlemen. Bryce Mitchell, if you haven't, uh, look up uh, look up uh, Bryce Mitchell right now. He's just in a hilarious, um, it looked like a local car commercial for wherever he's from. Hysterical, though. you you got to watch it. Um, maybe I'll pin it to my social media. Um, but yeah, completely hysterical. And Bryce Mitchell finally getting his camo shorts. And so this is really this is going to be a great test because Andre Feely trains with the the uh, the uh, team Alpha Male, so he comes from a a really great camp with really great grapplers. So he should be really seasoned for this fight. And Bryce Mitchell, on the other hand, he's got to deal with with uh, Andre Feely doesn't have the most power, but he's really scrappy and he's really coming into his own uh, with with the stand up and really putting everything together in his game. So this is a great stylistic matchup. I'm glad they're take, kind of taking the slow approach with Bryce, giving him all the right fights at 145. Um, yeah, that's a great fight. And then ultimately we got Uriah Hall versus Anderson Silva, and this is supposedly Anderson Silva's last fight. Um, I'm thinking if this really is Anderson's fight, I'm going to do like a recap of his whole career. Um, and, uh, let me, let me break down this fight real quick and then, and then I'll, and then I'll get to what Anderson Silva means to me personally. Oh, uh, but this is, this, this is a, it's a great fight, but also a really weird fight. Um, you know, a few years ago when, uh, Uriah Hall first came off the ultimate fighter, everyone kind of thought, oh man, this is the next Anderson Silva. Um, I think oh I can't I can't even remember I think Anderson had lost by this point but let me see when when Uriah Hall busted onto the scene on the Ultimate Fighter I want to see if Anderson had already lost to oh, 
Yeah, yeah. So Anderson had just lost to to uh, Chris Weidman. Yeah, because Uriah Hall lost to Kelvin Gastelum on the finale April. Oh, no, no, no. I'm sorry. Take that back. I thought that said August. No. So um, that was a few months before Anderson got knocked out uh, by Chris Weidman. Chris Weidman, Anderson Silva was July of 2013, and they fought in April. So within Uriah, yeah, well, okay, well, right around the time uh, Anderson lost, everyone kind of thought, oh, this this Uriah kid, that's going to be the new Anderson Silva. Ultimately, didn't pan out that way. Uriah Hall had a lot of, um, uh, you know, growth to go, and he's still kind of growing and learning and everything. And he's kind of a different fighter now than he was when he first busted onto the scene. But uh, people were calling for this fight years and years ago, and, you know, we're finally getting it here. And, you know, what the issue with Anderson Silva is, is a lot of these guys, they respect him too much because of his legacy. And it kind of gets guys, I mean, you saw it with Daniel Cormier, you kind of saw it a little bit with Adesanya. I think Adesanya was just more having fun, getting to fight his idol in there. Um, But a lot of these guys, they give him a little bit too much respect. Um, And even though he's not the same Anderson Silva that was the Anderson Silva when he was the champ, and just blowing guys out, they still kind of treat him like he's that guy, and it allows it allows Anderson to kind of get up on these guys. And you saw that with uh, Derek Brunson. You saw you you just you've seen that uh, over the course of the his last few fights. Um, so I really don't know how to break this fight down because I I don't know what it's gonna be fun. It, might, it could be fun. It could be really boring. I don't fucking know. Um, they're like the most excited fight. I'm no, not really. Uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens. Anderson's definitely not the same guy. He's been Uri Hall's kind of up and down. So we'll see what happens. Um, but really, more what I want to talk about is is uh, you know for you for you newer fans like you didn't really get to you don't really have an uh, an understanding of who Anderson Silva was. And for somebody like me who when I when I first started watching this fight or when I first really got into MMA, um, you know he was the boogeyman. Um, didn't have a lot of notoriety until like that Chael fight, and I was watching him year. I'm gonna say like good like three four years before that Chael fight ever happened, and um, you know, I don't want to say he was the Mike Tyson because I hate I hate that Mike Tyson comparison, but he really was not not in the same way Mike Tyson was Mike Tyson where he's just like scary and going in there and obliterating these guys, but. Like I said, talking about Khabib, like he beat guys before they got into the cage with him. They were so mentally distraught that they didn't know how to approach to fight him. Even though the proof was kind of in the pudding on how to do it, guys psyched themselves out with, like they they overthought it. Like there was a clear recipe to beat Anderson and guys just could not, could not mentally keep themselves together to, to finish the game plan. And you saw that time and time and time again. And Anderson just made... Like, again, I'm going to say it again. He was the boogeyman. And for guys in my era, for guys who started watching you know, early in his career, like that, like nobody ever thought there was going to be anybody to be Anderson. And that's what made that Chris Weidman knockout. Just... I... Uh, when, when, when he lost to Weidman, I never... Like, I didn't believe... It, it took me, I want to say... I want to say like two weeks before I really digested the fact that Anderson had lost. Like, um, it was weird. It it it, it was weird. 
Um, I don't even know how to describe it. Like I, I remember being like I, I remember my my friends. Like I had my my family over, and um, my mom and my girlfriend at the time were yelling at the TV because he, you know, he had been kind of clowning around, and it was kind of like he kind of you know had karma come back on him and, and knock him out. And so, like my friends and him and and my girlfriend and my mom, they were all cheering, and I, I was silent. Like my jaw was to the floor. Um, it was weird. It, it it was almost like there was a death in the fam, like a sudden death in the family, and you didn't know how to react. Like you didn't know whether to be sad or you know what, because you did. You I was having trouble digest the whole thing, and um, it was just it, it. That's what Anderson Silva meant to me, um, and meant to the community. It was it was so surreal when he lost, um. And there was just so many, so many, like, like when I was saying Khabib, Khabib kind of lacks those moments where Anderson has a million of those. Like I could, I could sit here and I could list out all these different moments that Anderson had in his fights. Um, so if this is really it, it's, it's really the closing of a, a really beloved MMA fighter and, and really a guy that gets tarnished now because of some, um, drug, drug issues and i think i'm gonna i I think i am gonna make a video because there's a whole rant that i want to go on with you fucking assholes out there yeah i want to call you fucking assholes who have to go out there and be like oh well he tested positive so therefore i can't put him in the in the goat discussion fuck you guys just real quick i'm gonna just give you a little preview of my rant here just a little preview and i'm gonna break it down a lot better for you guys uh in a in a more full video but let's look let's look at anderson silva's record while he was the champ Okay, okay. You guys want to sit there and say, "Oh, he can't be, he can't be in consideration for greatest of all time because he failed two drug tests." Okay, okay. This is where my ultimate fuck you comes from. All right. Okay, let's go all the way back. Okay, fought in pride. Everybody was up, but okay. Let, let's just let's just go specifically in his UFC career. Okay, uh, Nate Marquardt, TRT, Dan Henderson, TRT, uh, and was on TRT throughout this whole thing. Okay. Um, okay, Chael Sonnen had multiple drug offenses and TRT. Uh, when he fought Vitor Belfort, Vitor Belfort was on TRT. Fought Chael again, TRT. Stefan Bonner failed, failed uh, uh, right after their fight. Okay, so that's what? That's one, two, three, four, five. So five fighters out of his whole reign... Uh, we're known steroid TRT users, okay? That's five guys that we know about, okay? So if you want to go get on this big high horse about how you can't uh, consider Anderson Silva in, in the GOAT discussion uh, because because he got tested positive when he wasn't the champ anymore, okay? He got busted when he wasn't the champ, and that was still before USADA. He got busted, what, Nick Diaz, so yeah, that's January 31st, so yeah, I think they put in USADA that July, so this was still before USADA where he got busted, so in that same era, um, and that was coming, I'm going to get into all this later, so I'm just going to leave you with that, he was fighting guys that were also on shit, so even if he was on shit, I don't give a fuck, because he was fighting guys that were on it too. So what, he can't get considered because, so pretty much what you guys are saying is, is that because he he may have been on stuff in, in, in his prime and was fighting guys on his prime because he was using it, he gets disqualified. Fuck you. That's all I got to say on that. 
Um, anything else I want to get to before I wrap this up? Because I think I feel like I've been going on forever forever and ever and ever no i think that's it so i'm gonna wrap it up real quick thank you guys for listening um i'm still working i'm gonna do a lay of lay of the land for 135 and i think now i'm kind of inspired to do an anderson silva kind of recap of his career so look out for that stuff later this week until i call next time have a good one folks